You Can Mentor is a podcast about the power of building relationships with kids from hard places in the name of Jesus. Every episode will help you overcome common mentoring obstacles and give you the confidence you need to invest in the lives of others. You Can Mentor. Welcome back to the You Can Mentor podcast. My name is Steven, and I have a special guest with me here today. His name is Josh Meadows, and he leads an organization called The Abandoned Project in Matthews, North Carolina. I saw that the zip code in North Carolina is 281, which that blessed me because I'm from Houston. And so uh, Houston's area code is 281. Josh, I love the 281. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Steven? (laughs) I'm good, man. Thanks for being on the call and jumping on the podcast. Our podcast is all about uh, building relationships with kids from hard places in the name of Jesus. And I checked out your stuff and man, you're doing that. That's, that's your lane. And so I'm excited to get you to share more about your organization and what you and your wife, Jenny are doing in North Carolina. So how about you tell our listeners a little bit about you and y'all's story, uh, just what's going on in North Carolina. For sure. Thanks, Stephen. So yeah, just one quick thing. So our, our ministry is actually in Charlotte, North Carolina, but there's a small town uh, next to Charlotte called Matthews. That's kind of where our post office is. And so um, <laughs> <Okay>, <laughs> it's a small hour town. But yes, yeah, so the, the Abandoned Project, we're in actually the east part of Charlotte. And we have been serving in low-income communities, which I like to call forgotten communities, for the last uh, seven years. So we've been in, yeah, we've, this will, actually this month will be eight years that we've actually been working in the neighborhoods. So it's been incredible. Wow, that's awesome, man. So do you do you follow basketball or anything that's going on in North Carolina? What's do, what's your thing over there? I do follow basketball. Um, so football is a pretty big big you know deal here. The Panthers are a little bit bigger than the Hornets, but um, you know we we do go to some Hornets games. We take some kids to some Hornets games. We need a superstar, man. We're we're kind of like you know <laughs> we're we're kind of struggling. You know, it's like the Hornet. I have friends from Dallas that'll call me and be like, "Hey, your team's in town." tonight. And I'm like, well, good thing you got Luca because there's nobody on our team to watch. So yeah. So we, we do root for the Hornets, but um, yeah, we need, we need some help. Man. So we need okay. Some so, help. so it's, it's the same, the forgotten, the forgotten neighborhood, the forgotten, <laughs> forgotten city. Team. So yeah, come on. <laughs> right. That's awesome, man. That's right. Well, I want to hear more about your mission and even, even just what, what you just said, forgotten, did you say forgotten neighborhoods? Yes. Forgotten neighborhoods. Yeah. So tell me more about what, what you mean by that. Yeah. So Charlotte, just to give you a little bit of scope and perspective, Charlotte is um, a growing town. Like we're one of the top 10 fastest growing cities in America. We have an apartment boom going on right now. So there's like cranes all over the city. Young people, millennials are moving here at a crazy pace. But at the same time, all that, uh, you know, all that exciting stuff is happening. We're also the worst city in the nation in a statistic called upward mobility. And so Harvard business did a study a couple of years ago and say, hey, out of all the cities, when, when people start out in poverty, who is the best city at getting them out of poverty? Who's the worst city at getting them out of poverty? So Charlotte's like dead last in the nation. So in other words, the reason I say forgotten communities, you know, it's kind of like that statement a long time ago where the Bible says, hey, people thought nothing good would ever come out of Nazareth. And then bam, Jesus came. <laughs> I think about our neighborhoods a lot of times like that. Our neighbor, you know, our city goes from good to bad, like 
very expensive neighborhoods and then bam, we have low income housing and then it goes back to good neighborhoods. And so we're really mixed up. And so it's easy for people to not really see that there are low income neighborhoods that they pass by every day. Um, and I'm sure people drive by and they're like, what's that? Like, you know, can anything good come out of there? Right. It's just a lot of kids running around. So what we have have found is that there is so much beauty, beautiful people, beautiful families, um, tons of potential that are in these neighborhoods that have been um, not tapped into. So that's why I like to refer to them as forgotten neighborhoods. I love that, man. And I, I think mentoring is all about seeing the potential Absolutely. in someone that, that might be overlooked or might not right. have opportunity. And so I, I love that. So could you share more about just how your mission aligns with these forgotten communities? Yes. So our mission is to model the love of Jesus to hurting communities who deserve freedom from cycles. So a little bit about, I guess, how the Abandoned Project formed. It really formed in my heart years ago as a little boy. My mother and dad were married until I was seven years old, or actually five years old. They got a divorce, and then my dad moved to Chicago, and, and we grew up in Asheville, North Carolina. So it's a really beautiful spot in, North, in the western part of North Carolina with mountains surrounding. I would literally lay in bed at night and see shooting stars go over mountains. It's really pretty, not a lot of street lights. so I kind of grew up in the country. But I grew up without my father being active in my life because he moved to Chicago. I tell people that God took my uh, pain and turned it into a purpose. Um, and, you know, funny, funny story about, about Texas. Um, I was on a plane to go speak. I've, I've got a relationship with some churches there in, in the area, Lake Point, actually. Yeah. And so I got some relationships with some friends from Lake Point. I love those guys. And I was going to speak to their youth. And I'm in the airport in Houston. And I actually meet Beth Moore. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, so it's kind of a weird story. Like I tweeted at her. She tweeted back at me. This is back when I was on Twitter big time. And so then uh, I'm sitting at my gate thinking that I missed my flight, but I'm actually early. And here comes Beth Moore walking down the hall. And she's like, you're the guy that just hit me up on Twitter. I'm like, hey, you're Beth Moore. And so she <laughs> puts her phone down and she goes, tell me your story. And so I began to tell her my story about how I grew up without a father. And now I'm working with these kids in Charlotte and 90% of the kids in our neighborhoods don't have their dads active, like either in their household or active in their life. And her eyes got big and she was like, Psalms 130, 15, like in God, there's like full redemption. Like that's your story. Like God took your pain and gave you a purpose. And she helped me identify like how to actually tell my story to people. And it made sense. So I'm like, okay, that's it. I'm going to tell people God took my pain and turned it into a purpose. So it's awesome. Come on. Beth yeah, Moore. I know. Right. She's, she's awesome. So really, really cool encounter there. I'll never forget that. It was very, uh, you know, kind of one of those monuments in my life. And so, yeah, when I, you know, kind of grew up without a dad and I moved to Charlotte back in 2007, just kind of trying to figure out like who I was. Um, and at the time I was an insurance agent. So I was working in, you know, as an insurance agent and one of my, my clients who now is on my staff, this lady named Miss Kathy, um, was like, Hey, I got this, you know, this neighborhood church program. Do you want to come speak to the kids? And so I, I show up, uh, I speak to the kids and I ask a question that changed my life. So, you know, be careful the questions you ask. And I said, Hey, how many of you guys have your dad at home? And out of like 45 kids, one kid lifted their hand up. And it was like this immediate connection of like, wow, these guys are like me. Uh, the only difference is like, I feel like I had a better support system than they, even though I didn't have my dad, I had my grandparents, I had coaches, I had, you know, I had some mentors in my life. And so I just walked out of that gym that night with just the conviction of like, man, these are, these are my people. Like th this is where I belong. And even that night in the parking lot, like a girl and a guy got in a fist fight, like my first night, he punched her and she hit him with a scooter. She did pretty good for herself. 
and, and I, yeah, really random. And then I just, I just kept showing up. And what eventually happened was the church was really, they were older congregation, kind of incapable of really caring for the kids. And so I kind of came in, took over and eventually made it, made it my own, which, you know, kind of formed the abandoned project. So. Wow. I'd, I'd love to hear more of just your own personal story of how that affected you growing up. And I don't know if you have any stories you'd like to share of things that you recognized in your own life that are reflected in the kids that you're serving now. Absolutely. So when you're, when you're young and when you're a kid and when you're full of wonder, um, you don't really get to see the story until you get older. And so I think that a lot of times I really believe I'm big in that our childhoods really shape us. And, you know, I believe that Sometimes we we sort of walk with a limp because of it, but I also believe that Jesus can like redeem and bring beautiful redemption out of that. And so, growing up without a father, I, th- I think the first thing is to identify a father's role. A father is is you know for for young men to really speak into their sons' lives, tell them who they are, right? Tell them that they're enough. Teach them work ethic. Teach them how to treat women. Play sports with them. And so I think being a dad is just the ministry of teachable moments, right? Like I'm going to be with my son and, and every day is an opportunity or a classroom, so to say, to teach uh, my son these teachable moments. And so when you don't have that there, you have a, you know, a mother or a grandmother, you know, trying to basically play the role of dad. And so in my life, it took a village to, to raise me. I remember one particular time being in the, the fifth grade, I, was, I had my teacher, Mr. Ward, uh, this this guy that was a teacher for, for me in fifth grade. And in the middle of class, there we had like these chairs that had the back kind of cut out of them. I remember he pulled me out in the hall because I was sticking my head through the chair in the middle of class. I don't know why I'm telling the story, but it just sticks out. And he pulls me out in the hall and he goes, son, in 25 years of teaching, I've never had a kid stick their head through the back of a chair to try to get attention from other kids. You know, and and I don't know why I remember that moment, but it was almost like, wow, like I'm going to extreme lengths to get attention and love because there's this this void in me that that the man that's supposed like I always say you can't you can't be a man unless you see a man. You know, you Mm -hmm. can't be a man unless you're around a man. And so there was just this uh, immaturity. You know, I also, I'm a kid, I'm a fifth grader, right? Fifth graders are, you know, can do some crazy stuff. But there was just this like extraness of like, I need attention. I need some kind of validity, you know, to, 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 I was just looking for love and I would just do dumb things to get love. And so I think, you know, even going into high school, what I found was that coaches that, that really cared about me, I would let them speak into my life, even let them say hard things to me. But coaches who didn't care about me and who just treated me bad, I would quit. I would just be like, man, I'm not, I'm not doing this. I don't care about you, right? That, that kind of I don't care, which we hear a lot from kids who are broken. And there, you know, points in high school where I got, you know, this one basketball coach, Coach Schneed, who actually held me accountable. He's like, hey, you got You got to wear a tie on game days. Well, I'm, I'm kind of like the rebel. Like I didn't wear a tie. Well, he set me out, and then I got in trouble on the bus, and he kicked me off the team. But I realized that he actually was loving me. He was actually holding me accountable and calling me to a higher standard. Um, and so, yeah, just just that brokenness followed me, you know, all throughout kind of high school. But I will say that God was really good in placing men in my life. And I will say men that already had their own families and that who didn't have to be in my life that invested in me because they wanted to, that they saw something in me. And that that really, you know, helped and helped change and shape my life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mentors who 
I mean, are making a commitment to somebody that's not their blood, right. that they're not like, I mean, already, I guess, morally obligated to be right. responsible for or like choosing to to enter in. And I, I love just kind of what you said of the, the negative cycle is that you don't believe you're worth anyone's time. Right. You don't believe that anyone would give you attention unless you did crazy stuff right. and you don't believe someone's going to hold you accountable because I mean, you're just going to do what you want to do. Right. Like that accountability is not at home. And so you're not used to it. And so there's this kind of this void of male authority. And so when your dad walks out of your life, what your dad doesn't realize is that he is making it hard on every other man that's going to come into your son's life because there's, there's a lack of that accountability. And so when I, when I, you know, interact with these, these guys in my program, it, and we'll talk about this later and, you know, kind of what are some of the, some of the failures and stuff I've experienced. But, but yes, when you're, when you're dealing with these kids and you're dealing with, with their attitudes, wisdom goes, man, this is, this is on your dad. Like, I really want to have a conversation with him right now. This is not all your fault, you know? And so you kind of learn to empathize with, with them and understand why, why they get upset or why they struggle with authority. And it's just part of the process. I want to sidetrack and ask, ask you a question about Jenny how does she fit into to all of this, the, the work that you guys are doing? And um... Absolutely. And Jenny's so amazing. So Jenny is my wife. Um, and by the way, we um, adopted a baby boy. Um, so we have a son, Israel, that is, uh, he'll turn a year old February 1st. So Come on, man. Um, this is really cool. And, and the adoption actually came from one of the neighborhoods. It was a connection from one of the neighborhoods that we serve in. And so we're first time parents. And let me just throw in there that my son slept all the way through the night last night for the first time. And so I feel like a brand new man right now. So <laughs> Come this, on. Is, this is awesome. And so my, my wife, Jenny, she is specifically in charge of running our health initiative. And so what I like to tell people is that we are a relational based ministry and that as we form relationships, we eventually form programs because we have uh, an idea of what the, what the kids need. So instead of getting trigger happy on programs, we just want to get to know our communities and then we form programs that, that they need. And so my wife runs a health initiative. And so basically what she does is she teaches young girls and mothers their worth through health, nutrition, cooking classes, exercise. And so every Wednesday night, we have 15 to 20 girls that meet and they cook a meal together. They, they go over scripture. They, they talk about their worth and how, you know, that they're worth taking care of themselves and eating good and putting good things in their body. Um, Cause our kids love chips and sugar. And if they could have it their way, they would live off that and mm-hmm. drive them crazy. So, so she's in charge of the health initiative. And then the other thing beside it is she's just my, she's my helpmate. So she walks beside me through, through everything. And she's such a servant. And, you know, if it was before we, you know, met and got married, her, desire was to be in Africa working in the slums. So she's got a, she's got a big heart for people. I love hearing about stories of couples like you guys and it's inspiring. And I, I think our communities need men and women to oh, mentor yes. and need all of the giftings and skill sets that, that come with that diversity. And right. so I, I just love that so much, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I can't tell you how many talkies that I've cleaned <laughs> out of the van that we have when I pick up kids. It's, yes. it's insane. So I'm glad that you've decided that that's something that you're called to set yourself against in, in yes. Jesus name. So I'm just, <laughs> but yeah. and hot Cheetos. Oh man. Yes. 
gosh. So um, we we just got a van for the first time. Actually, we had a church donate some money. So for the past seven years, we have been taking kids in our own car, and I can't tell you how many you know packets of honey mustard I've opened up in, in a <laughs> container somewhere. Or um, you know, we had a, a no, we we have a rule like no food on the van and. Would you would you know last week I found a milkshake that was spoiled in the back of the van. So yeah, so yeah, man, the struggle the struggle is real for sure. Something came to mind when you were you were talking, you you were talking about how Jenny is developing a plan and teaching about health and nutrition. Right. And I I think when we have a conversation about negative cycles, right. I mean, particularly in this conversation, we talk about just the the effects of fatherlessness. Um, but, but I think also there are so many other dynamics that, that come into that influence the cycles in our lives. And one of those, obviously poverty, um, which I'd say is also a fruit of fatherlessness, but at the same time, um, I wonder if, if you could speak more to negative cycles that we don't naturally think of or see, and we root in something that we think is just evil and not actually, have, I guess, compassion when we see negative cycles that, that people base their life in and, um, yeah, ultimately feel trapped in. And I think poverty is, is one of those. Right. Yeah, for sure. And I I definitely think that fatherlessness is one of the core roots of a lot of cycles. Um, you know, if you think about poverty, you think about, you know, a dad teaching their kid work ethic. For me, that was my, my grandfather. Luckily my grandfather lived you know, one house down from me. And he, you know, if he jumped on a tractor, I jumped on there with him. If he mowed grass, I mowed with him. If he painted, I painted. And so, you know, you got the father. And a lot of times, you know, particularly when we were growing up, you know, the the dad was was teaching work ethic, right? And now mothers have amazing work ethic as well. But one of the one of the results of, you know, not seeing that work ethic is just poverty. Like for example, if, you know, if growing up if my if my son does happen to get into to video games to be like hey here's your limit because life is more than video games but then if you have if you don't have a father at home and mother is either tired or sleeping or working three jobs and these kids are able to do whatever they want to do most of the time the kid is not going to be like hey i'm going to go do some push-ups right now or i'm going to go study entrepreneurship right i've never done that just go be a kid (laughs) right um, yeah, they go be a kid. And so work ethic is kind of left out of that. And then you have the, the systematic issues, you know, like the welfare and government assistance and kind of some of the broken systems that whether we like to admit it or not, a lot of them are designed to really keep people in poverty. And so you have that working against them. So you have fatherlessness, you have poverty. And then what happens as a result of that is you begin to develop a victim mentality. And a victim mentality is, well, life isn't fair. I haven't been dealt you know, a good hand of cards. And so I'm just going to blame everybody. And I'm just going to say that, you know, a lot of the kids, and I'm sure you hear this too, that's not fair. That's not fair. Yeah. Um, and so I think, I think they're, they're all kind of interweaved together, but I think those are the biggest, biggest ones. You know, you speaking about food. I mean, the kids can't walk to a grocery store. So there's a corner store. What do they sell at the corner store? Chips, sugar, you know? And so there's other, the other things as well that there's, there's definitely like a lack of, of opportunities. And I think one thing that jumps out to me is we have this volunteer named Derek and Derek was actually my pastor when I first moved to Charlotte and we video, we, we interviewed him one day and we're like, Hey, what have you learned since you worked with, you know, the kids at the abandoned project? And he made this comment. He said, I've learned from working with these kids that a lot of, and Derek's white, he's, you know, he's in his, in his fifties, he's white, he's married, he's got kids. And he goes, I've learned that working with these kids 
that the opportunities that I have been afforded in life are not because I'm particularly worthy. And he said, I've learned with these kids that the lack of opportunity that they have is not because they're not worthy. And I was like, wow, like it just, it just, it just hit me. That's like, so good. Yeah. Like all the different things that, that these kids are up against simply because of where they're raised and they're, you know, they're, they, they have nothing to do with, with their dad leaving, you know, or they're living in a low income apartment complex. And so, yeah, it's, uh, it's tough. Yeah, man. And I, I think it can feel overwhelming at times to oh, try yeah. and, I guess, approach mentoring as like, I'm going to fill in all of this, this space or this right. lack or, uh, this need. And so what, what, would you tell a mentor who's entering into a relationship with a kid uh, who has some of these cycles mm. and some of these things going on? What What are the steps to help him healthily uh, engage in that space? Right. I think the the first thing um, I would say is just just show up. Right. I think showing up and being consistent is is very very important. Once you start showing up, you're going to see that there is a plethora of, of needs and, and brokenness and cycles, and you're going to, you're going to feel overwhelmed. And that's, that's part of the process. And I, I say this with all sincerity is you have to learn how to pray because there, there's so much that as humans that we, we can't, we can't, I mean, we're, we're helpless. The only thing we can do literally is show up, love, and take advantage of teachable moments, but we can't control the outcome. And so there's, there's a, a lot of mentoring where um, I think it's a delayed gratification. I don't think in the process of mentoring, I mean, you'll see, you'll see glimpses like we'll have a kid that, that call. I mean, just for a kid to call instead of saying, most of the time it's, Josh, pick me up. Can I come to your house? Can I come play ball? But to have a kid call and say, Josh, how's your day? How's, how's your son doing? Is, Je- is Jenny doing well? I mean, you have those moments where, or you'll have a kid that's came through your program that, that calls you and just says, man, thank you so much for all you did for me. Like I didn't even recognize it at the time. And so there's a lot of delayed gratification when it comes to mentoring, but while you're, while you're in it, it is, it's extremely important to realize how little control you have, you know, and Mm -hmm. sometimes you, you want so much for these kids that, that you can begin to kind of go into this control where you're like, ah, I want, I want this so bad. I'm going to force you here. I'm going to help you. And you just, I mean, you can't, you can't do it all. And so I think, you know, prayer, uh, maybe even having a good church that you're connected to that you bring them, I mean, getting them around as many good people as you can and just being consistent and just loving them and and taking advantage of teachable moments. I mean, that's really what this is all about. Yeah. When when you say control, because I I feel like that's, (laughs) uh, I'm thinking about the, the mentor who shows up and the first thing he thinks of when it, when Christmas time is coming and he's like, this kid's not going to have Christmas presents. So right. I'm, I'm going to get him Christmas presents. Right. He's going to have the same experience my kids will have. And that is going to change his life. Can, can you speak to more of that, the temptation to control and how that can uh, create something negative in itself? For sure. And let's throw another word that I think would go good as well as the word enable. So let's use control and enable as like kind of the same word here. Um, I think that a lot of mentors enable kids um, by trying to, yeah, give them the same experience as their kids have. And um, we, we know from being in mentoring, you know, seven, eight years and being in the communities, when you enable a kid, you actually make them worse off than what you found them. And you'll find that kids begin to start to expect things from you 
um, and they'll use you to get things versus to truly, you know, one of the things I say with my kids is like, listen, I want to have a two-way relationship with you. I want to care about you and I want to be I want to be cared for by you. So I want to ask you how your day is going. I want you to ask me how my day is going. But just to, to kind of give you an example about the enablement and the control is, you know, when I first started working in the neighborhoods, kids would come up and say, can I get a dollar? Will you take me to McDonald's? Can we go to, can we go to the, the trampoline park? I mean, that's, that's what they would do all the time. And there came to a point where I was like, listen, I believe it or not, like, even though like I'm white and I'm coming into your neighborhood, like I, I don't have money growing on trees. But I want to tell you that I I feel like I'm the I'm the gift to you. My time, me showing up, like that's the best I can give to you. And yes, so sometimes good, we will go to the trampoline park, or sometimes if we get a good donation, we'll go have a meal together. But I want you to recognize that like time equals love, and I'm giving you my time, and I don't have to. So that means I'm I'm here because I want to be here, and I want to impart things to you, and I want to, and also I want to learn from you as well. Because I think that there's a, a tendency in mentoring a lot, a lot of times for mentors to go, hey, this is my good deed. And what I, what I tell people is, let, let's go to Isaiah 58, right? When you fight for those who, who can't fight for themselves, when you give people a voice, when you bless people, God says that he breaks forth a light in you, right? God says that he brings healing to you. And so I think a lot of times as a mentor, when we start mentoring, we realize that the kids bless us more than we bless them. You know, and that's that's an important part of mentoring is that it really is a blessing to pour your life into a kid, but also have that kid turn around and tell you that they love you or that they care about you. And so it's just a mutual, mutual blessing. So good. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Just moving from enabling to empowering. Right, I, I, right. I love what you said that I am the gift. Right. I think a mentor should be willing to say that. Right. In any situation where they're like, the kids asking for McDonald's or, right. and, and you just find yourself in a situation where you're like, Oh, I think there's an opportunity for you to miss, miss what's going on in this relationship. Right. Exactly. And so that's, that's so good, man. Yeah. Um, you know, any, any time and just for mentors out there who are listening and I, I'm, I'm going to save you a lot of, a lot of trouble when you mentor young kids, particularly in low income neighborhoods and they ask you for a dollar your, your response is, well, I was just about to ask you for one, or you tell them, <laughs> you tell them that they're asking the wrong question. Listen, you're asking me the wrong question. What you need to be asking me is how do I make a dollar? And then if I teach you how to do that, you'll stop asking me. <laughs> so that's my go-to. <laughs> wow. It's awesome, man. So let's I empower. Yes. Yeah. And I love what you said about prayer. Prayer is not about control. It's about surrender. Right. And so I think asking the Lord to move and, being prayerful in our mentoring relationships is is huge. And that not only establishes a right spirit within us, but gives us the opportunity to model that to the kid that we're mentoring as well. Right, right. So I, I'd love if you could share um, any stories from positive role models that have served with the Abandoned Project or, or your own personal stories of that, that would bring value to our, our mentors, any experiences or, or things you guys have done that, yeah, would just influence our mentors in engaging in, in forgotten communities and forgotten relationships. And um, yeah, just any stories you'd like to share. Absolutely. Uh, I think one of the first things, if you're going to be a successful mentor, I think be a student of the culture of, of whoever you're mentoring. So really, um, one of the things that my wife and I did was we moved from a uh, kind of like a 
nice gated condo community in Charlotte. Uh, and when we started really working with the kids, we're like, hey, we need to get close to them. We need to understand the culture. So we rented a small house and we had a low income apartment complex in our backyard and went across the street. And we were about a mile from the main neighborhoods that we served, but that was kind of the, you know, as close as we could get. And there was uh, in my backyard, there was a, uh, a neighborhood and this kid named, there was actually a volleyball court in my backyard and these, and the owners of the house would still come play volleyball Well, the kids would hop the fence whenever they played volleyball and come over. And I met this kid named Javante. And when I met him, he was in, he was in second grade and he was this little snaggle tooth kid. Um, his, he always had little high water jeans on. And so what I noticed was that some of the kids I began to mentor would make fun of Javante and be like, you're, you know, you look poor, you look like a bum. And so what I did to, to kind of have a teachable moment was I got the kids in the car one day and I went and found out where Javante lived. I talked to his dad. I said, Hey, listen, you don't, you don't know me. I live across the street. Javante hops over the fence and comes to my house all the time. Um, can, can I hang out with him for a day? I'll have some other kids with me. We're just going to go get some food and, you know, do, do some things. And so he let me hang out with Javante. So I took the kids who were making fun of him and we went and we said, all right, guys, now that I got you on the car today, we're going to go shopping, but we're only going to go shopping for Javante. And since you guys love to make fun of him, well, we're going to bless him with some clothes and some shoes. And so we actually took Javante shop and bought him some clothes and shoes, went out to eat the kids who were making fun of him just got to see, you know, Hey, we're, we're going to, since you're going to make, we're, let's do something about this. Let's bless him. He he matters. And so that was a really powerful experience. And so what the reason I bring up Javante is he, um, you know, he was infamous for throwing chairs. So we'd take him to the program. We developed a relationship with him. He'd always get an attitude and for whatever reason he would throw chairs. And so that was what he kind of got a reputation for. But as we simply just began loving him, I remember him calling me one night and he goes, Hey, would, would you take me to my book fair at elementary school? And so even though he's actually one of the ones raised by a single dad, his dad wasn't really involved in any extracurricular activities in his life. And so I took Javante to the book fair and his teacher says, Hey, are you Josh? I was like, yeah, I'm Josh. And she goes, well, let me, she goes, I don't know what you're doing, but keep doing it because Javante has went from being like the worst student in the school last year. And now He's making A's and B's and he's, his behavior is so much better. And so, and, and I started thinking like, man, what did we really do intentional to really help this? And I think it was just simply like, we, we became available to him. We just loved him. And he would show up at our door at six in the morning, literally knock on the door, asking for pizza before school. And I'm like, bro, you got to stop knocking on my door at six o'clock. Um, <laughs> but that's just kind of one of the things that happened from, from moving into the neighborhood, understanding the culture and just being available love changes kids and it changes all areas of them. And so, you know, like you said earlier, you feel overwhelmed a lot when you're working with this demographic, but the one thing that's going to change everything is, is love. Like it, it, it will affect their life in different ways more than, than, you know. And so I think, I think that's the key. Uh, that, that's one of the stories that I love to tell about is Javante. So. It's so good, man. The, the same thing that led Javante to throw chairs is the same thing that led you to put your head in, in a chair. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. He throws them. I put my head in between them. You know, same thing. That's good, man. We, we all have our thing. Violent. That's it. That's it. That's awesome. Um, could you share any discouragements you faced personally in, in serving the kids in your neighborhood and um, what, what brings you back to the vision that you have? Absolutely. There's, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of discouragements. I mean, we've, we've, you know, back when we used to work really, really heavy with high school kids, I mean, we've had fights and we've had all kinds of things happen. Um, there's been times we've been in the neighborhood and, 
you know, gunshots go off. And I mean, we've, you know, Jenny and I got robbed one time, you know, not robbed, but our house got broken into. And so obviously there's these, you know, little things that happen along the way, but, but in regards to the kids, I think one of the big discouragements or the big traps is, um, as mentors is, is that we, that we often get offended. I see a counselor. I see a counselor because I need it. It's part of self-care. And, and literally, if you do urban inner city ministry, if you're a mentor, I encourage you to see a counselor too. And one of the things that my counselor, I, I, I went to him one day, I was like, listen, his name is Lance. I was like, Lance, like, man, I just, I get tired of getting disrespected. I, you know, I, it's like, I, I show up again and again, the kids know for, for seven years, I didn't even get paid. I had another job and I just was showing up and giving my time. And blessing these kids and I still get disrespected and like then I get mad and I might go off on a kid or get frustrated and I remember one day he looked at me and he goes Josh like do those kids love you and I, I said yeah they do like do they tell you they love you I'm like yeah most of them and he goes don't get offended because what what those kids are going through has nothing to do with you and he mm-hmm. and, and so as a, as a, that that really helped me it's like wow when I'm when I'm mentoring a kid or we're in a program and somebody's disrespectful, it really has nothing to do with me. It's about their brokenness. And so when I get offended, it it takes the focus off of of God or what the kid's becoming and it turns it into me of like, wow, like my pride gets in the way. Part of my disappointment has came from my my pride and getting offended with these kids and not really empathizing with them of you know, sitting in their seat of of why that they give me an attitude or why they're getting, you know, upset. And so I think that's one of the things is that my my pride has led to discouragement. And so just to really realize that a lot of these kids and what they go through, it has nothing to do with me. And so the more I can not get offended, the more effective I can be a mentor. So I think that's one thing. That's awesome, man. I I think that speaks a lot to to the heart of a mentor. It's so easy to make it about you. Yeah, for and, sure. Um, carrying that offense is toxic. Yeah, and so. it really is. And I think, you know, the other thing that I, that I really want to encourage mentors to do, and this is something that's took me years to, to really figure out, is to learn how to call kids up, not out. Um, call kids up, don't call them out. One of, the, one of the things about that is I think about um, in the Bible, Simon. Jesus goes to Simon and he goes, your name is Simon, but today I'm going to call you Peter and I'm going to build my church upon you. And he gives Peter a new name, a new identity. And he gives Peter that new name and that new identity before Peter denies him, before Peter makes mistakes. And so this, this element of calling kids to who they're becoming, not, not who they are at the moment, I think is very powerful. If we're all honest, we all carry some sort of, of you know, shame or we're all, we're all our own worst critic. And so when we call kids out, particularly in front of other kids, it just furthers the the shame and maybe maybe even who they think they are. Like I'm I'm bad. I'm worthless. I'm nothing. And so that's when you know when you call kids out or when you're hard on them in the wrong way. It's just like that's when you get I don't care. I don't care. Well, I'm already this way, so I don't care. I'm already bad. I don't care. But what we started noticing when we take a kid outside, so we get them away from the group and say, "Listen, you know, Sean, I believe in you, and I know that you're a good listener." And back in there when we were doing the lesson time, when I told you to turn around four times, man, I know you're better than that. And I believe in you and I believe in the leader you're becoming. So can you help me out next time? And can you focus when we're doing the lesson? And I've just found that that goes so much better than just all of a sudden bursting out in frustration and saying, why can't you not turn around? 
you know? And so I've, I've, I'm going to be honest with you. I have done that so many times in the past seven years that a kid the other day was like, Josh, I noticed that you're, you're handling us different now, you know? And, and it was cool to hear that because I've, I've literally made that mistake so many times. So I think that's one thing that, that I've learned from is, is call kids up. Don't call them out. Just way more healthier. And it's what Jesus did, right? It's Jesus gives, gives us a new name. He, he calls us up. So, and, and that might be what kept Jesus from being discouraged (laughs) is that he actually believed and had faith and hope. And if we don't see that, of course, we're going to get discouraged because we're, we're not actually believing uh, for what God wants to do in their life and who they're going to become. So that's so good, Josh. Yes. So big for us. All right, man. So, I mean, what I'm hearing is that you used to be a big failure, but you, <laughs> you've you figured it out. So, any other exactly. failures you'd like to share with our mentors? Anything you've learned from? Um, yeah, I think I think just you know two things. I mean, do do what you say you're going to do. I think I think uh, when we work with these type of kids, they, there's been a lot of letdown. So, if you say you're going to pick them up, pick them up. If you say you're going to take them to grab some food and spend some time with them, just make sure that you do everything in your in your power to do that. Um, just you know, be consistent the kids are a little more susceptible to, to hurt because they've had so many false promises. So I think, I think that, um, and then, you know, kind of the other thing I was thinking about is as a mentor, if you're in a, any kind of ministry, just make sure that you, that you self care. Um, it's so easy to get overwhelmed and, and, and really burnt out with the work that, that we do. And so I've noticed that I'm no good to anybody unless I'm taking care of, of myself. And so like literally, you know, taking walks or going to play around the golf or going to shoot some basketball and having time to just like really refresh myself with, with Jesus um, so that I can go, you know, be a good mentor and really love, you know, from, from him. I, I think I've saw two types of mentors. There, there are mentors that, that mentor to get healthy. And then there are mentors that mentor out of a place of health. And so I always want I always want to get to a place where I mentor out of a place of health versus um, I'm mentoring to fill a void in me because then I'll make it about me and not the kids. So you just, you just convicted every single person mentoring. <laughs> so hard. You oh know? man. It's so good. But here's the thing though, um, Stephen, is that even if we're mentoring to get healthy, still keep showing up. God, God will work with us in that, you know? will. Yeah. Come on. Oh gosh, Josh, you're killing me. Um, (laughs) just love, love your vision, love your heart. And so practical. I want to ask you one last question and that would just be, what, what do you guys feel like that you guys are just rocking? You guys are doing well that every mentoring organization should follow. What, what's the one thing that's, that's borne the most fruit in in y'all's organization? Yeah, I, I would have to say you know, it's almost like when, when you have a for-profit organization, people spend millions of dollars in research and development, right? When you have a nonprofit organization, you are labeled the devil if you spend money on research and development. So you just, <laughs> I think you become the research and development. So I think for us, the, the thing that's bore the most fruit is, to, um, is, is, is a word we call oneness. And so oneness means that we show up and we become family with the people that we serve. We don't, it's not like, hey, we're the abandoned project and we're serving you. We're the service provider. You're the service recipient. It's just showing up and saying, hey, I just, I just want to be family with you. Um, I just want to love you. I want to I treat you as if you're my own family and I want to show up and earn your trust and let's do life together. 
I think that 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 relational aspect of earning the trust has got us further along than what we could have ever got if we had come in just with a program based focus. Like, okay, like, you know, let's take you into this program. I mean, there's, I can't tell you the amount of times that we have vans drive up in the neighborhood to take kids to church, but the same people in those vans won't get out to meet the parents. And so if I'm being honest, I run them off. I say, Hey, unless you're willing to get out and meet mom, can you leave? Like, because we're, we're about relationship here. We're, we're about, you know, getting to know each other. And so I think just really, you know, spending time. So if you're a mentor, I would, I would encourage you if you're dealing with kids who live in low-income environments or in the inner city, spend time in their space, spend time on their turf, play That's basketball good. in their court, you know, go, go knock on the door and meet mom. You know, I think, I think that's been the best thing that we have done. And then we've formed programs out of knowing uh, who our community is. And that's really helped us. Oh, I love it, Josh. It's been a super helpful conversation. Even, even just that last thought, I remember, some of my friends, we were reading uh, the book of John and Jesus starts his ministry. And then like the next day he goes to a wedding and yeah. and he spends three days with a community. And yeah. it's like, he is all about relationship, yes. not just drinking wine, but relationship. Yeah. He's about also about drinking wine. And so that's so good, man. Just, just focusing on relationship and, and being where they're at and right. man, uh, empowering and not enabling. There's so many nuggets that you you gave us. So we really appreciate your investment in our listeners. Absolutely. How can our our listeners connect with you after this episode? Give us some social media. Absolutely. So we have um, an Instagram account. Uh, our Instagram account it's uh, at the abandoned project. So just at the abandoned project. So we have an Instagram account. That's that's the the social media line that we're most active on is the Instagram. So uh, feel free to follow us. We'd love for you guys to follow us and, and kind of, you know, see our stories on there and vicariously live, live through us here in Charlotte. So Yes. Well, we want to be encouraged by you and, and see the kids that, that you're serving. And um, yeah, we're so thankful for you, man. Listeners, check out theabandonproject.org or Instagram at theabandonproject. So oh. awesome. Great to meet you, Josh, and yeah, look people. forward to, to having you on here again to, to share more, share more of your failures and yeah. more of more of the, the wins. So maybe thank I'll you so much, two, man. Maybe I'll have two more next time. <laughs> we talk. But yeah, and, and Stephen, um, on behalf of the Abandoned Project, thank you guys for what you do for providing a platform for people just to, because mentoring is so tough and you guys are providing so many, you know, helpful uh, knowledge and help the people that are mentoring. So thank you guys. Cause this, this work is going to trickle all across the United States and the world. So we're excited for you guys and thankful for you. Well, that was an amazing interview with Josh Meadows from the abandoned project in Charlotte, North Carolina. Please go check them out. We'll have their information in the show notes. And if you are connected to any Christian youth mentoring organization that we should check out. We would love to network with you. So please reach out to us on our website, youcanmentor.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with your friends, share it with someone you know who is thinking about mentoring or mentoring currently. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, five stars. And if you didn't get anything from today's episode, let it be this. You can mentor.